So I'm really excited to talk about what I have to talk about this episode. You got a good bad bitch? I've got so many bad bitches. <laughs> I have a plethora of bad I'm bitches. I'm excited. I'm excited about this episode because the last few episodes have been real rough. A downer. Yeah, real rough. Except ah. for uh, for the bear. Oh, little boy took all the little his little eating lit cigarettes. Not shrapnel. <laughs> it's mortar. He's walking around with it. Ugh, love him. Well, we didn't do the intro and outro again. Oh, let me do that real quick <laughs> while we entertain the people. While we enter, okay. Da 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 Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 80 of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Casey. And I'm Roya. This week... I guess isn't so uh, unexplained or devious, uh, but we will be b- splitting up some pretty terrible episodes with one about more bad bitches just to make your day. <laughs> uh, so as usual, you can find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast at Twitter at underscore strange unusual and at Facebook. If you search strange unusual podcast, we also are on Patreon, patreon.com slash strange unusual, where we will get into that a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> What are you talking about today, Roya? So I am talking about a force of women fighters. Interesting. I'm talking about single women fighter. <laughs> Mine happens in World War Two. Mine also happens in World War Two. Mine happens in Russia. Mine, well, Soviet Union. Well, yeah. But technically Ukraine now. Oh, okay. So, uh, yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is a fun theme episode. <laughs> Accidental theme episode. Accidental theme episode. Well, Drastoitsia, shall we begin? Oh my god, are you going to do the whole episode in that? <laughs> Absolutely not. That would be so insensitive. I have a horrible rush. Well, who should go first? Uh, I mean, you went first last episode with both of our episodes, or both of our cases were awful. So okay. I can go first this episode. Sure, go for it. Let's, so, let's hear it. So, like I said, uh, We Woo's Nazis, it's World War II. Mine also begins with We Woo Nazis, World War II. <laughs> That's really the only one I've got. I mean, okay. they and the Nazis are just there. Like, they're just, they don't, they don't really come into the story much. All right. Uh, so, picture it. Soviet Union, 1942. I'm there. <laughs> Operation Barbosa by the Nazis invade the Soviet Union was in full swing. I talk about Operation <laughs> Germans were pressing on Moscow and Leningrad was under siege by the and the Red Army was struggling. The Soviets were desperate. So the 588th Night Bomber Unit was sent, targeting the Nazi base within the Soviet Union. So in October 1941, uh, Marina Roskova, known as the Soviet Amelia Earhart, who was not only famous for being the Soviet Air Force's first female navigator, but also known for her extremely long flight distance records. Um, She started receiving letters from women all over the Soviet Union wanting to join the war effort. And while there were support roles, there were many women who wanted to be gunners and pilots and even fly on their own. Oh, wow. Many of them had been affected by the war, losing family members or loved ones, or had seen their entire homes and villages destroyed by the Nazi regime. 
Rashkova saw her opportunity and sent a petition to Stalin to let her form an all-female fighting squadron. On October 8, 1941, Stalin gave orders to deploy three all-female Air Force units. The, there were the 586th, 87th, and 88th. Mm. And the 88th was seen as the worst one. That's why they flew at night. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> they got the worst. They, they were the ones that were considered to be the worst at their job. Oh, okay. Um, the women would fly missions, drop bombs, and return fire making the Soviet Union the first nation to officially allow women to engage in combat. Rashkova received over 2,000 applications. Wow. And selected 400 women for each of the units. Most of them were students ranging from the ages of 17 to 26. Those who were selected moved to Engels, a small town north of Stalingrad, to begin training at the Engels School of Aviation. Their education was extremely expedited. They had to learn in a few months what it took, took most soldiers years to understand. Each recruit had to also train and perform as pilots, navigators, maintenance, and ground crew. Of course, the women faced a huge wall of opposition from their male counterparts who felt that women would be largely ineffective in combat. And for her her care in all this, Rashkova did really try to prepare the, the women soldiers for that to face that because she had faced that her entire life as a female pilot so the women uh, the soviet union was also completely unprepared for female pilots having meager resources to offer them the women were provided hand-me-down uniforms and oversized boots that they sometimes had to stuff with their own torn up sheets to make them fit and they're equipped wearing shoes that don't fit is probably one of the worst things i can think of right yeah it's Ooh. like right up there with like wet socks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't like it. <laughs> or like socks that w- just won't stay oh, on your yeah, heel. That's awful. <laughs> they just like keep sliding down. Yeah. Especially like when they go completely under your heel and like right into the arch of your yeah. foot. And you're like, the fuck are you doing, sock? Get the <laughs> hell out of there. You don't belong there. So the equipment that the women had to use was not much better either. The military provided them with outdated Polokopov PO2 biplanes, a 1920s crop duster that had been used as training vehicles. Wow. These light two-seater open cockpit planes were never meant for combat. Yeah, you don't fucking say. These planes were made out of plywood... With a canvas pulled over the body. It offered no protection from the elements, and since the pilots were flying at night in the Soviet Union, they had to often endure freezing temperatures, harsh winds, and even frostbite. Yeah. And there were points in time where they would say that, like, the the outside of the planes would be so cold that you couldn't touch them, because if you did, it would tear the skin off of your hand. Like... (laughs) I didn't like that. <laughs> no, that's not good. Um, the planes no also no. <laughs> the planes also had limited weight capacity, and combined with the mil- the military's limited funds, the female pilots were also lacking luxury items that their male counterparts enjoyed. Things like parachutes, oh. radars, guns, and radios. <laughs> luxury items but indeed lacking the radar and radios would actually come in to benefit them a lot later on 
and say probably easier to find or harder to find that way mm-hmm. they were forced to use more rudimentary tools such as rulers stopwatches flashlights pencils maps and compasses <laughs> Wow. There's also even some stories about how uh, the women would use the pencils that were provided um, for their planes as eyeliner. (laughs) Okay. One of the women um, briefly lost her position within the 588th squadron as well because she got caught um, taking apart. You know how like parachutes have like the little parachute part that sometimes she was taking those apart and she was using the silk to make underwear. (laughs) And she got discharged and then reinstated. That's really funny because of something that comes up in my story later. <laughs> that made me laugh. Okay, that's funny. Um, there were some upsides to the aircrafts, though. The maximum speed of the aircraft was slower than the stall speed of the Nazi planes, which allowed the wooden planes to maneuver faster than the enemy, which made them harder to target. So they could go so sl- they went so slowly that the Nazis couldn't target them because they couldn't go slowly enough. <laughs> wow. Um, also, due to their small and light nature, they could take off and land from virtually anywhere. Some more downsides, though. <laughs> well, when they got shot at, the pilots had to duck, <laughs> which sent their planes into dives. Um, almost none of the planes carried any kind of defensive ammunition, and serpent- certain types of an- ammunition carried pyrotechnic charges that would then just cause the wooden planes to burst into flames. They blow up. The planes could also only carry two bombs at a time, one under each wing. The regiment would send out up to 40 two-woman crews a night, and each one would execute between 8 and 18 missions in one night, returning to rearm the planes. That's amazing. The weight of the bombs made them fly at lower altitudes, which would make them easier to target during the day, hence the night missions. Mm-hmm. The planes would also travel in packs of three. The first plane would go in as bait, attracting the enemy, the German spotlights, and providing some much needed illumination on the area. Then the second plane would go through and would release a flare to light up the target. And then the last plane would idle its engines and glide into darkness. It was said that the sound that these made was the sound of a broom sweeping, which resulted in the nickname the Nazis gave them, Nachthexen, or Night Witches. Love that. There were 12 commandments that the Night Witches followed, and the first was, Be proud you are a woman. Yeah, hell yeah. Killing Germans was their job. But in their downtime, the heroic flyers did some needlework, patchwork, and decorated their planes and danced. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Their last flight took place on May 4th, 1945. Three days later, Germany would officially surrender. The Germans had two ideas about who these women were and why they were so successful. Idea one is that they were all criminals who were master thieves and had been sent to the front lines as punishment. And that's why they were so sneaky. Oh. Two was that they had been given special injections that allowed them to see in the night. Hell yeah. I'm fucking, fucking Nazis, right? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fucking Captain America over here. These female pilots, <laughs> these female pilots flew more than 30,000 missions in total, wow. which is roughly 800 per pilot navigator pair, though some did have higher, like that would be averaging out. Um, I think the highest one had, she had done 1,064 missions or something. 
Um, they lost a total of 30 pilots, and 24 of the flyers were awarded the hero, the title Hero of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Out of the, I think, 80 women that were given that award, uh, 24 of them came from the 588. The least successful in their their studies had more getting receiving that award than the other two divisions had it at all. Wow. Oh, wait, so all told, the pioneering all-female 588th Night Bomber Regiment dropped more than 23,000 tons of bombs on Nazi targets. Oof. I love that for them. They damaged or destroyed 17 river crossings, 9 railways, 2 railway stations, 26 warehouses, 12 fuel depots, 176 armored cars, 86 prepared firing positions, and 11 searchlights. Wow. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Rashkova, the mother of the movement, died on January 4th, 1943. She was finally being sent to the front lines with the 588th, but her plane was shot down. Oh. Um, She was given the first state funeral of World War II for the Soviet Union, and her ashes were buried in the Kremlin. Despite being the most highly decorated unit in the Soviet Air Force during the war, the Night Witches Regiment was disbanded six months after the end of World War II. And when it came to the big Victory Day parade in Moscow, they weren't included because their planes were too slow. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The sound of sweeping brooms were a terror in the night over Nazi encampments and bases. The planes were too small or too slow to show up on radars, and because they didn't have radios, the Nazis could never catch radio transmissions going between the planes. Despite them not being honored at the time of their service, they were an extremely vital part in the pushback of the Nazis in the Soviet Union. And there's a lot of arguments and conversations saying that like the Soviet Union probably would not have been nearly as successful without the night bombing regiments of the night witches. Um, also, I read that the Germans were so afraid and hated them so much that any German airmen who downed one of the night he- the Nachthexen were automatically awarded the Iron Cross. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's how much they oh, were babies. afraid of these women. But that's Gosh. that's the the Nachtexen. I love which them. is just such a cool name. <laughs> I just really liked that they their planes sounded like sweeping brooms, and so mm-hmm. they said that must be what a a broom sounds like when it's flying. Yeah, like is the air going between the bristles? Well, funny, funny that this is this is the story you tell because I also am telling. A story about a woman who received the Hero of the Soviet Union Award. Nice. Uh, Wee-woos. Nazis. (laughs) Uh, But I also do make mention of rape, torture, depression, PTSD, and alcoholism. Because this is a story about one woman and her personal journey. So I'm going to be telling you about Ludmila Pavlochenko. I just really love saying her name. (laughs) Born uh, Ludmila Belova. Oh, and, and you will remember, I, I did mention her at the beginning of the Corporal Vojtek episode a couple of weeks ago. And I said, oh, I'm going to cover her when we do a Bad Bitches episode. So here it is. Uh, she was born on July 12, 1916 in Bilitsevka, um in the Russian Empire, modern day Kiev in the Ukraine. Um, and that was, if everybody remembers from Casey's uh, story about Mr. Lenin, 
was about a year before the Bolshevik Revolution, just in case you forgot. Her parents were Mikhail Belova, and um, he was a government worker, and Elena Belova, she was a teacher. When she was 14, her family moved to Kiev, uh, officially, and uh, in her youth, she was kind of, she was like a self-described tomboy. She was like one of the boys. She was out there competing with the boys, making sure they knew that just because she was a girl didn't mean she couldn't do shit that they could do. There's mm-hmm. like one story where a uh, neighbor next door, neighbor, his son was bragging about how great he was at shooting and how much better he was at shooting than everybody else. And so she immediately joined the shooting club and uh, won a whole bunch of fucking awards. <laughs> she was like she had these medals and ribbons and shit she was winning championships um and in the one story i heard on uh, her biographics video on youtube uh she was at a carnival and approached this booth with like 12 targets and she was like i'm gonna pay for 15 rounds and see what i can do and she knocked out all 12 targets and when you when you knock down a target, you got a prize. And she knocked down all 12. And she's <laughs> quoted as saying, the man who ran the place turned pale with alarm and astonishment as he unfashioned one prize after another and piled them up beside me. After letting him hand me the 12th, I felt sorry for him and gave him <laughs> back all of his prizes. <laughs> That's really like, yeah, what a upset Carney. Like <laughs> she she has some this is going to be a. This is going to be a story of just badass quotes because this woman was full of them. <laughs> uh, in 1932, when she was just 16 years old, um, she was married to a doctor named Alexei Pavlachenko. Um, and that year she gave birth to their son, Rostislav, which is also a fun name to say. That is an intense name. Rostislav. Um, she had already finished high school. She was 16 years old, but she had already finished high school um, or whatever they call their secondary school. And she'd, she'd finished a year and a half early. So she was no slouch. Um, but their marriage did not last long. And Ludmila ended up moving home with her family um, where she would attend classes at night while also doing chores around the house and working during the days at an arsenal factory, ironically. <laughs> uh, she enrolled in Kiev University when she was 21, where it said that she studied history with the intent to be a teacher. She also competed in track and field. Uh, she was a sprinter and a pole vaulter. Um, And she did a military style school for six months run by the Red Army, where she furthered her like shooting skills in a sniping class. And she won awards there as well. Um, She was still in school when the Germans invaded the Soviet Union, which uh, we remember Wojciech. It was June of 1941. Uh, (laughs) uh, That's when Operation Barbosa happened. The Nazis attacked Kiev from the north and the south, bringing the war quite literally to Lumila's front door. So she volunteered for service. She went, she was one of the first women to go and say, hey, let me in. I'm going to, I saw too many dead friends, too many good people be killed literally outside my house. I want to, I want to be a part of this. And they were like, "Mm, you could be a nurse. And she was like, she was like prepared for this. She basically dumped out all of her medals and her awards and shit on the table and was like, you want me to be a nurse? (laughs) And so they they literally saw the amount of training she had had and were like, all right, you can be a sniper. (laughs) And she would end up being one of only 2,000 female snipers in the Red Army. And she was appointed to the Red Army. Still more than I expected. Yeah, me too. But the female soldiers still only made up 2% of the Red Army. Yeah. Um, So she was part of the Red Army's 25th Rifle Division. But because there was a shortage of weaponry, she was issued with 
only a grenade. That's what? it. That's ineffective spent, for a sniper. And she spent most of her time digging trenches. She's quoted in her memoirs as saying, it was very frustrating to have observed the course of battle with just a single grenade in one's hand. And on August 8th, 19, uh, 1941, not 91, would be very different. <clears throat> Uh, it was a fallen comrade. Uh, he had been wounded by a shell splinter and he could not operate his weapon. So he handed it off to her um, and she was later able to prove herself. She was told to shoot down um, two enemy soldiers. So let's talk about how hard this is as a sniper to um, shoot two targets, because if you shoot one of them, you've given away your position and the other one knows to duck or fall. Um, however, she managed to do this with two clean headshots. Uh, and because of that, the enemy did know where she was and they began firing at her. Um, in her memoir, she also uh, she called this her baptism of fire. And she called out to the machine gunners to cover her while she could get out of the way. Um, but yeah, I'm like, once you kill the first guy, the second guy knows it's coming, right? How did she do that? She was just that good. Um, I was like, they just lined up perfectly. And they were like, <laughs> one bullet. <laughs> So she did some time at the Siege of Odessa, uh, which lasted from early August to the middle of October of that year, 1941. Um, And by that time, Pavlichenko had 187 confirmed kills. Wow. Uh, Soldiers would keep track of their kills by like carving notches onto their gun. So that's how she knew how many she had. She was eventually promoted to senior sergeant that August. uh, And she married a staff sergeant or a um, sergeant major and he was a fellow sniper and actually her uh her spotter so like in a lot of these situations you would go to so that one could like spot for you if you had to like do something like go bathroom or something um so a lot of those situations happened um like that um and she fell in love with her with him his name was uh leonid kitsetko which i didn't practice as much as lenmila bovlichenko <laughs> So Leonid Kitsenko, um, he was, like I said, uh, there's not a lot known about him. Uh, All that we do know is that he died shortly after their wedding. Um, There were some reports that he died in a hospital after being wounded. Other reports said that she held him in her arms as he bled out. Um, So obviously not a great time. The unit was made to withdraw from Odessa, uh, but she did continue to mow down Hitler and company uh, through uh, Sevastopol and Moldavia as well. Um, She was actually made into a counter sniper. Um, So in these situations, they don't have um, like your your spotter as much Like you're made to hide and you sneak out, seek out the enemy snipers before they can kill you. And this is a long game. So she would be sitting sometimes between 15 to 20 hours, just being perfectly still, waiting to see one of their snipers trying to find her, essentially. I think one story I read said she sat there for three days. She was injured in battle uh, four times total, but um, before she was injured and then subsequently had to retire, essentially, from the front lines, she was promoted to lieutenant. Her total kill 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 count (laughs) for the war was 309 Nazis, including 36 Axis snipers. Wow. This is a high number that earned her the nickname Lady Death. At least that's one story. Uh, Another story that that she allegedly earned that name from was that um, she fell from a tree. She was spotted and um, they shot her down from the tree and she basically fell to the ground out of this tree and laid there for like 12 hours until night fell. 
And so she got up uh, after nightfall and then she just returned to camp and they <laughs> looked at her like they were seeing a ghost and thus the name Lady Death. So there are a couple different like origin stories of that. I haven't read her memoir. I'm sure she goes into it. But uh, she allegedly was even bribed by Germans uh, because she was so well known for like these people wanted to fucking murder her. They would like drive down the streets and be like, hey, Ludmilla, we're going to kill you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh they would they were like bribing her to like please come join our side we will give you chocolates and make you an officer <laughs> like literally trying to bribe her with chocolates um and when she did not that's what her, women like right women right, like chocolate exactly. i don't know anything chocolate. about women <laughs> um but she, you know she didn't answer she didn't accept their offer and so then they threatened to tear her into 309 pieces which is hilarious and she loved this she was just absolutely tickled by this she was like they know my score <laughs> <laughs> they know my high um, score yeah so um in june of 1942 as i mentioned she was injured um she was actually hit in the face with some shrapnel um, Jeez. Uh, she'd also been suffering from shell shock. She'd been injured multiple times and just did not leave the front lines. She was like, there's too much at stake. I don't want to leave. Um, but they did pull her finally. Um, and they put her on training duty for a while. Uh, they were using her to train other snipers. And then Stalin was, was getting pretty tired of the fact that the U.S. wasn't joining the front. So they decided to use Ludmila Pavlichenko as a role model for living propaganda. Uh, she was sent to North America, to Canada and the U.S. for uh, publicity as a way to try to convince Canada and the U.S. to join uh, the second front. Stalin desperately wanted Western allies to invade because that would mean the Germans would be forced to divide their forces and relieve some of the pressure on the Soviet troops. Yeah. Um, he was hoping that seeing a woman soldier who had fought and killed for her country would wound the pride of American men. <laughs> and I'm like, that is so smart, my dude. <laughs> so in the late uh, night in the, bleh, the late part of 1942, uh, Lyudmila Pavlov Pavlochenko was the first citizen of the Soviet Union to be welcomed into the White House by Franklin D. and Eleanor Roosevelt. She spoke no English and she had to be uh, an interpreter the whole time. Uh, but she and the First Lady really hit it off. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> this is exactly the kind of woman that Eleanor Roosevelt would like. <laughs> So um, Eleanor Roosevelt invited her out on this press tour across the country. They ended up going to like 43 states to try to garner support from the U.S. Um, to join the Second Front and to tell her story as a woman on the front lines. Because like Brian just said, Eleanor Roosevelt was a hell of feminist and was super into it. The American press was not kind to Lyudmila Pavlichenko. Uh, the New York Times dubbed her as Girl Sniper. Uh, other papers wrote things like she isn't wearing any lipstick and her uniform isn't stylish. She uh, literally killed 300 <laughs> Nazis. I don't think she's worried about looking stylish. Right this now. is why I said your your uh, thing about the, the underwear and the eyeliner made me laugh. Um, there's a quote that I read from the Smithsonian Magazine where in New York, she was greeted by uh, Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia and a representative from the International Fur and Leather Workers Union. Um, and they presented her with um, a, quote, full-length raccoon coat of beautifully blended skins, which would be resplendent in an opera setting. When the paper lamented that such a garment would likely go to the wars on Russia's bloody steps when Ludmila Pavlichenko returns to her homeland. 
Like, get fucking off it, my dude. She just killed 309 men. Okay? Chill. Um, They would ask her if she wore makeup on the front lines. And keep in mind, Pavlochenko had survived fighting on the front line at Sevastopol, where uh, Soviet forces suffered hefty casualties. She was on the front lines, and I think I read that they lost 18,000 people, like they 18,000 casualties, but 95,000 were captured. And they were forced to surrender after eight months. So she's like, she's seen some shit. Yeah. And so this reporter says this and she's like, uh, there's no rule against it. But who has time to think of her shiny nose when a battle is going on? Like literally what she said. Yeah. Uh, She was told that the uniform made her look fat and that her shirt, her skirt should be shorter. And so this quote, man, uh, she said, and I quote, I am amazed at the kind of questions put to me by the women press correspondents in Washington. Don't they know? There is a war. They asked me silly questions such as, do I use powder and rouge and nail polish? And do I curl my hair? One reporter even criticized the length of the skirt of my uniform, saying that in America, women wear shorter skirts. And besides, my uniform made me look fat. This made me angry. I wear my uniform with honor. It has the order of Lenin on it. It has been covered with blood in battle. It is plain to see that with the American women, what is important and whether they wear silk underwear under their uniforms. What the uniform stands for, they have yet to learn. She's a bad bitch. I totally just hit my microphone, so I'm so sorry. Uh, it kind of, like, on a obviously lesser note, because, you know, she was a soldier during World War II, it reminds me of the kind of, like, bullshit interview questions, like, female celebrities get. Oh, I get that, yes. Like, I was thinking the exact same like, thing. Like, what kind of underwear do you wear under the Black Widow costume? Into the, yeah, what, like, did you have to lose weight matter? for this role? Yeah. Get fucked. I remember the one interview, I think it was Scarlett Johansson and uh, Jeremy Renner. And Jeremy Renner was just answering all of the, like, sexist questions that were asked like it was about him. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, oh, is it hard to get up and go put on all the makeup and get into the latex suit every day? And he's just like, oh, no, you know, it just takes some getting used to. And like, (laughs) like, what kind of undergarments did you wear with it? It's like, oh, mostly, you know, like a (laughs) G-string. He's just answering everything like Uh, it was directed at him. (laughs) You're a sweet man. You're a sweet bee. Or when Benedict Cumberbatch stepped in with, I think it was Natalie Portman. Um, I remember that and, one. And he's just like, stops the interview and he's just like, why did you ask her that? <laughs> and he and the interviewer is just like completely startled because yeah. he just kind of leans forward and he's like, you're not, a- you don't ask me questions about like what clothes I'm wearing. Yeah. So like, why are you talking to a Harvard graduate oh, yeah. in the same movie that I'm in? saying well what what designer are you wearing like what that's not why you're here (laughs) yeah i was like damn yeah i can get it so that isn't to say that she didn't have her fair share of badassery in the press either um according to that smithsonian article that i mentioned um she told one reporter that killing nazis around aroused no complicated emotions for her the only feeling I have, this is a quote, I'm bad at saying quote before the quotes today. Um, the only feeling I have is the great satisfaction a hunter feels who has killed a beast of prey. She's also quoted as saying, every German who remains alive will kill women, children, and old folks. Dead Germans are harmless. Therefore, if I kill a German, I am saving lives. <laughs> And she meant that like, oh, I didn't say this earlier, but there was a story I read. She witnessed horrors in this fucking war. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
this in the in a town close to Odessa where they were fighting um the red army was able to defend this city and so they went in to beat back the nazis and soldiers were going around to check on civilians and offer medical attention to anybody who need it well pavlachenko and some of her people they went and they were going to a nursing home basically to say you're free like what do you need um and check on the sick and the elderly and instead they found the bodies of 108 elderly people or sick people um and their bodies had been tortured and slashed to pieces her quote was and so depraved were those hitlerites that the old women had all been raped god i'm like fucking nazis dude okay so eleanor well fucking world war ii dude like well, yes. my my uh grandpa was one of the people who drove the boats in to explore the japanese caves oh yeah yeah and i'll just real fucking bad like he would never tell anyone about it he yeah. never talked about it after he came home ever mm. he was only like 16 too Yeesh. Oof. well yeah like so that's that gets into something here eleanor seemed to have this big impact on this girl um they were traveling together and they were becoming close and by the time they reached chicago like ludmila uh, had had it like up to fucking here with these stupid ass questions yeah and she says to these people and this time I'm really quoting. It's a real quote. <laughs> quote, I am 25 years old and I have killed 309 fascist occupants by now. Don't you think, gentlemen, that you have hidden behind my back for too long? <laughs> and I'm like, I get fucked. Oh, damn. <laughs> so the, the, the crowd is like fucking inspired. And there's like this uproar of support. And she starts receiving gifts, mostly guns, um, from admirers and supporters. And Woody Guthrie. Uh, even wrote a song about her in 1942 called Miss Pavlichenko. And <laughs> it's got some real great lines. Miss Pavlichenko is well known to fame. Russia's your country is fighting your game. Uh, for more than 300 Nazis fell by your gun. Oh, hold on. I'm going to start this over again because I missed a line. Cut. Restart. Miss Pavlichenko is well known to fame. Russia's your con- country. Fighting is your game. The whole world will love her for a long time to come. For more than 300 Nazis fell by your gun. Fell by your gun? Yes, fell by your gun. For more than 300 Nazis fell by your gun. <laughs> and other such charming lines from Woody Guthrie. <laughs> I listened to the song after I heard that. I was like, this is going to be good. <laughs> the last the last stanza is like, man, I hope I never have to invade your country. <laughs> uh, so she continued to speak out about the lack of color line or segregation in the Red Army about gender equality, which she aimed at American women specifically. Uh, quote, now I am looked upon little as a curiosity, a subject for newspapers, headlines, uh, for anecdotes. In the Soviet Union, I am looked upon as a citizen, as a fighter, as a soldier for my country. She later said, our women uh, were on the basis of complete equality long before the war. From the first day of the revolution, full rights were granted the women of, the, of Soviet Russia. One of the most important things is that every woman woman has her own specialty. That is what actually makes them as independent as men. Soviet women have complete self-respect because their dignity as human beings is fully recognized. Whatever we do, we are honored not just as women, but as individual personalities, as human beings. That is a very big word because we can be fully that. We need no limitations because of our sex. That is why women have so naturally taken their places beside men in this war. I love her. I know. She's the best. 
after her North American tour, she made another tour, uh, this time through Great Britain, before returning home and receiving the rank of major. She was treated as a hero, and in 1943, she was even honored with her face on a Soviet postage stamp. Big deal. she She went back to school, and she finished her education. She began a career as a historian. That was all after the war had ended. She she ended up um, training more snipers until the end of the war. Um, but then she went back to school. And instead of becoming a teacher, she worked as a research assistant at the Soviet Navy, Navy headquarters. Um, she did have... Um, a lot of trauma from her experience, though, and she suffered from depression, alcoholism, and almost certainly PTSD. Fifteen years after she and Eleanor Roosevelt uh, traveled the country together, Eleanor Roosevelt would end up visiting Moscow, uh, and that's 1957 for those uh, keeping track. So this is well into the Cold War. A Soviet minder was there to keep track of Roosevelt and restrict what she had planned on her agenda. And uh, the best part about this is that one one story I read was like the Russians figured out why she was such a notorious first lady. Like, because she was basically saying, no, I'm going to go visit my friend uh, Ludmilla. I'm going to go visit her. Um, You're going to let me go visit my friend Ludmilla. That's going to (laughs) happen. You're going to let me do that. (laughs) She, like, wouldn't take no for an answer. And so she was so persistent. And she was finally granted her visit. And they went. And she reunited with Pavlichenko in her two-bedroom apartment in the city. And it said that this minder was there the whole time. And so the conversation, while friendly, was stiff and formal. And it wasn't like what they experienced in the U.S., so she made uh, Pavlichenko made some excuse and she gets Eleanor into another room where they have this moment alone and they hug and they're laughing and crying and they're just reminiscing about their times and their friendship and everything. So that was very sweet. And uh, Pavlichenko ended up passing away in Moscow in 1974 at 58 years old from a stroke, which a lot of people think uh, was a complication of her alcoholism. Her legacy remains, however, and in night, uh, I'm sorry, 19... 19- <laughs> Jesus. 2015, the Russian film The Battle for uh, Sevastopol um, was made based on her story. No other woman has yet uh, surpassed her kill count. And so she still remains the greatest female sniper in history. And that is the story of Ludmila Pavlichenko. Certified badass. Certified badass. She's got the ribbons to prove it. Yeah. She's got many ribbons to prove it. She do. She do. She do. She's got many bullet wounds through nazi heads yes. to prove it so man what a great episode yeah this was a good episode i mean the bad bitches episodes are always good they're about bad bitches they are makes me feel like man at 25 what was i doing <laughs> <laughs> i definitely had not killed 309 nazis no i definitely nope. had not i was working at starbucks i had not even killed one nazi i still have not killed a single nazi <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us today while we honored the baddest bitches of Mother Russia. We hope that you'll reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, and your feedback. Send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you're sending a listener story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little more easily. Do you have a connection to the Noctexan? Yeah. And do you um, drive a plane that makes broom noises? I want to know what that sounds like. Like, I wish... I wonder if there's recordings of it or anything. Probably. I know there's a there's a couple of movies about them. There's um I mean there's gotta be there's gotta be some kind of propaganda. That was that was propaganda city then. Yeah. 
Uh, anyway, you can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or on our personal accounts, Riot Rampage and Calamity Casey, where we post the weird shit in our personal lives. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We're on Facebook. Just search for the strange and unusual podcast. And we're now streaming or Roya is to some extent. Uh, you can find her at twitch.tv slash Roya Rampage. If you'd like, you can join us over at patreon.com slash strange unusual and check out some of our bonus episodes, which we do intend to get some more up there soon. Um, life is happening, but <laughs> you know, we have polls. We have a great uh, discord that's been real active lately. We're danking memes out there or something, right? That's what the kids say. The dank <laughs> memes. Yes, that is that is what the youths say, the youths. I do believe. Uh, but we do completely understand that right now it might be difficult to support support us financially so we just asked that if you could please write uh, a nice review write write a bad review just give us five stars yep and we'll read it all out it'll be great um share us with your friends uh you know talk to us on instagram and twitter and reach out and that's kind of what we want to do with our lives now <laughs> just talk with you i mean it'd be great if this is what we could do with our lives <laughs> <laughs> we have any new reviews no Fuck yeah. I check. Fuck all you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm stopping the episode. Oh there. man. No, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was that was not very uh Lindmila Bublichenko of me. Was it not though? I'm out here. I've written three hundred and nine reviews. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay right. guys. I'm a little sleepy, so we're gonna go. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>